I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Todd Grantham is remaining at the University of Florida as their defensive coordinator after interviewing for the same job with the Cincinnati Bengals. And speaking of defensive coordinators, Jim Levitt is out as their D.C. at Oregon. Where might he land his next job? And it's time for the Great American Race. The Daytona 500 is this Sunday. We'll talk about all of that and more with Tampa Bay Times reporter Matt Baker in just a minute on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. Hey, but first, this podcast is recently celebrated its one-year anniversary. We are growing, and we want you and your business to grow with us. So our sponsors have shown great response from listeners to this podcast. If you would like to be a sponsor or uh, promote your business, uh, just tweet us here at Sports Day Tampa Bay. You can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you guys be a part of our team here at Sports Day Tampa Bay. Matt Baker joins us now. And Matt, before we uh, get into the Daytona 500 and Speed Week and all of that, I wanted to ask you, as our college football writer for the Times, just how important was it that uh, Todd Grantham, who interviewed for the Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator position, is in fact remaining at Florida? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a huge get for, for the Gators. I mean, that when you've got a, a head coach who's an offensive mind like Dan Mullen, the most important hire and the most important guy in the staff is the coordinator on the other side of the ball. And, and, of course, that's Todd Grantham. I mean, Florida's defense, Florida wasn't great anywhere, really on any part of the field, I don't think, last year. But they were pretty good in everything. They were solid on offense, solid on special teams, and solid on defense. And, and you know, uh, Grantham's worked with Mullen in the past, so they have some uh, a lot of familiarity with each other and a lot of trust in each other. Uh, Grantham, you know, showed he was a, a good recruiter too. I mean, a couple of the guys they were able to get uh, late in the class and, and on signing day, I think it was the the um, Vogel kid down in Fort Lauderdale flipped from Bama. Grantham was a huge part of that, so he's important in, in bringing the guys in as well as the, the schemes and everything. So. And two, anytime you're you're trying to build a program like Mullen is at, at Florida, you need some continuity. Not every staff is going to stay intact. That that doesn't happen in this day and age. But you need at least a good amount of continuity from year to year, especially as they're trying to build. So you know, it was a huge get for for uh, for Dan Mullen and the Gators to keep Todd Grantham for at least one more year. And our buddy Pat Dooley at the Gainesville Sun uh, reported this morning that. There was a, uh, you know, Grantham got a raise to, I think it's $1.8 million a year, which will make him, I think it's the fifth highest defensive coordinator in terms of salary in the country. So um, d- dude's getting paid, and, and uh, you can certainly argue that he deserves it. Yeah, so good news for the Gators there. Uh, speaking of defensive coordinators, as we do this podcast, uh, the, the breaking news, of course, was that Jim Levitt, former USF coach who had been the uh, defensive coordinator at Oregon is out now with the Ducks. Uh, how surprised are you uh, about this, Matt? You know, I was very surprised when I saw the, the news late uh, Wednesday night that that was happening. Um, people who know better than I do, and I'm talking specifically about John Canzano, the great uh, columnist up there at the Oregonian, said that this was kind of a, a relationship that was destined to, to fail at some point. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to remember how 
the dynamic up there came to be. Oregon hired Willie Taggart, thought he was a long-term guy. He, of course, left for Florida State after one year. Um, and at the time, Oregon had a, a really good recruiting class, one of their best ever, maybe their best ever at the time. So there was a lot of pressure to keep that together. And what the Oregon ended up doing, you know, they had two uh, coordinators who were both very good, both former uh, head coaches, and ended up keeping one as the head coach, and that was Mario Cristobal, and tried to keep Jim Levitt around, too, to really to preserve the recruiting class, if nothing else. And it, it worked. I mean, they, they had a, a fine class. This, this past recruiting class in 2019 was, it was top 10, and, you know, they stayed together for the kids kind of thing. But when you've got two <laughs> former head coaches like that, there are going to be egos involved. They both wanted the job. Only one of them got it. At some point, it probably wasn't going to work long term. And we found out, uh, you know, last night that it looks like the it, it, the relationship has ended and, and run its course. And we'll see what happens with Jim Levitt. I mean, I, obviously, he was a former head coach and there's no secret he wanted to be a head coach again. His name was thrown around thrown around in the last couple of uh, head coaching cycles, obviously, at, at Oregon. There's talk of uh, you know, something that happened at Colorado. Maybe you could have uh, gotten in there. Um, Kansas State, his alma mater, was one that came up. Uh, I think he was in the mix at Texas Tech as well. None of those worked out, whether that's the USF baggage or his personality. or I mean, who, who knows what it was, but those didn't work out. And uh, I think Oregon would have been happy if things had, you know, he had been able to get a head coaching job and they could have moved on. But uh as often happens this time of year in, in college coaching, the, the other part of the carousel starts to spin now that signing day is over. And uh, we saw what happened uh, with, with Jim Levitt uh, here this week. Yeah, I, I mean, the timing isn't, isn't great for, uh, for Levitt. I, I suppose it's, it might be too late for, for this next college football season, or could there still be openings somewhere that he could take advantage of? Oh, there could absolutely still be be openings that that can happen. I mean, obviously, we just heard what uh, we just talked about what happened with, with Grantham. With Tom yeah, Grantham. obviously, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe he ends up in Cincinnati or, or in the NFL because he did coach the 49ers linebackers for Jim Harbaugh. Correct. Yeah, there, there's plenty of things that can happen. And again, this is the time of year. Everybody tries to stay together and, and keep the staffs as intact as possible until after signing. Day. Recruiting. And, yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all about recruiting. And then now here's another little spell where there's going to be shakeups where this assistant coach leaves to go somewhere else and, and this that and the other so it he's certainly it's it's not outside the realm of possibility for him to get a job in, in the college at, at some point here for for the 2019 season and and remember too weird stuff happens in the sport there always seems to be some sort of weird head coaching vacancy that you don't see coming in february but it happens before the start of the season and again i'm not saying jim love is going to get that job i'm just saying that there's so much yeah. unpredictability out there. The carousel will continue to spin. And so Levitt will have a chance to land somewhere for sure. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll, something will work out and he'll end up back in the state of Florida. Who knows? You know, awfully close. Has always loved loved the state. He's been away now for a while. And, and I mean, all the way across to Oregon, which I know he, he liked having his kids there and seeing a different part of the country. But you're right. I think uh, I think Florida always is, is a draw for him. And I mean, the state of Florida. So we'll see. What goes on there? Okay, so one of the biggest events in the state, of course, is taking place this Sunday. That's the Daytona 500. You wear a lot of hats at the Tampa Bay Times, to say the least. Uh, we've talked a lot about college uh, football and basketball and all those things, but you also uh, are a motor sports writer and have done Daytona since, what, 2012. So let's talk about um, this year's race. First and foremost, there was a story uh, that uh, I think Martin Finley might have written about him. You've written about this guy a lot, Eric uh, Almarola. Uh, from Tampa, and 
what happened to him on the final lap a year ago uh, and, and just how he's how he's had to live with that. I mean, it's the Daytona 500 and you're one mile away. And then, of course, it didn't happen with him and, and Austin Dillon won. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of the crazier endings I've seen in sports. I mean, I'm sitting next to Martin in the media center and, and Eric Amarola, you know, he's a Tampa guy. He wasn't born here, but he was, lived here since he was like one or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah went to Hillsborough High School. Um, Daytona was the track he ended. You know, he went to as a kid all the time, and he raced stuff out there. So Martin and I were just thinking as this is going on, like, okay, the local guy is going to win this. This is huge. Like, all right, <laughs> what, what do we do? Do you? Uh, uh, do, I have his dad's number. Do you have his dad's number? What about his grandpa? <laughs> what? And, and we're thinking like, okay, if I see them in Victory Circle, are they going to recognize me? Am I going to recognize it? So we're just thinking like, all right, who's who's doing what here? And then yeah. Austin Dillon taps him into you know heading into turn three, and that's that. So then it becomes a, a, a shift of like, all right, well, okay, Martin, you take Emerald. I'm going to take the guy who, who won, and we'll meet in the middle. And um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, for for his perspective, you're you're a mile away from a career defining win, and not not just I mean, on a personal level, but again, just career. He was in his first year going over from uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, which is kind of a Kansas City Royals, Tampa Bay Rays, uh, <laughs> Oakland A's in terms of budget and everything, to Stuart Haas, yeah. which is a they're not the Yankees, but they're the Dodgers or the Cubs, probably. Um, sure. And, and a chance to, to win the big one right out of the bat. And, um, it, it didn't happen. And I, I don't think Eric really could have done anything different. I think it just it's just racing and it, and it just happened. And I think sometimes at the big motorsports events, this one, the Indy 500 in particular, sometimes the, ra- the, the race chooses the winner. Sometimes the race chooses you. And it wasn't his day. And... Obviously, I know he's thought about it a good amount since then. Um, but as soon as he could, he moved on. He ended up having a really good year last year at Stuart Haas Racing. You know, his his best ever, and I think he's absolutely going to be one of the cars to beat on Sunday. I mean, Daytona. You know, the one thing I've always appreciated about NASCAR is they they play what the equivalent is, I guess, the football Super Bowl first. It kicks off the racing season. All these guys have done all this work in the off season, and so you know they're in the best shape they can be for this for this race. But it's hard to win. I mean, it, it, it's one of those, you know, things you want on your resume before you retire or you die. You want to win the Daytona 500. So sure. uh, I guess he'll get lots more chances, but yet that will always that will always be the thing until he changes the narrative. How how competitive do you think he has, uh, in, you know, I mean, he finished second last year. So no reason to think he won't run up front this year, right? Oh, absolutely. He he's been really good at at the the, the super speedways, the the restrictor plate tracks. I mean, uh, yeah. his first win came in in 2014 at the July race at Daytona. Um, that that right. was in the rain. That was one of the the cooler ones I, I I've covered. Um, and obviously, just a huge moment for him and his family. And then you know, last year he won at Talladega, which is of course the other huge track on the circuit. And that was a, a one that got him into the, the, the chase and got him moving forward. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, I, I absolutely think he's, he's in position to, to do quite well. Um, you never know how many chances you're going to have here. He's, he's had, had a top five, I believe at, at the Daytona 500 before he just seems to work well at these tracks. And there's some things in there that you can't teach. It doesn't really show up on, you know, in the box or anything, but if you can either figure out how the drafts work or you can't, and, Again, that's no guarantee that he's going to win. Sometimes it just weird stuff happens. I'm thinking back a couple of years ago when Denny Hamlin won. He was sitting like sixth or something, heading into the final lap, or you know, heading into the, the white flag. 
in some way or another, he was just able to move here and move here and draft here and move around and side draft this guy. Next thing you know, he crosses the finish line first. So it's a weird, fluky race with all the way, the way that the wrecks happen and so much pressure and so much on the line. It's kind of a survival of the fittest. And, and he certainly has the horse, the, the, the car there at Stuart Haas uh, uh, Racing, to, to compete and be one of the guys in the mix at the end if the cards fall the right way. I wanted to, to ask you about a guy that you, that you wrote about in the Tampa Bay Times uh, on Thursday, and um, you make some really good points about Bubba Wallace. And uh, tell us why you believe that uh, this guy, uh, that NASCAR needs him to become uh, a rising star. And he, he drives for Richard Petty, which you mentioned a minute ago with uh, Amarola, and, and just what you see in terms of the potential for him uh, in, in NASCAR. I think one of the reasons, and we can get into this if you want, but one of the reasons NASCAR's in the, you know, it's fallen as much as it has from maybe the second most popular sport in the country behind the NFL to, the, and also ran, is the right. drivers are really lame. Um, mm. it, it's, it's, there's some fantastic stories. I mean, El Morola, we've been talking about, he, his, his grandpa and, and, and grandma immigrated from, from Cuba in the rebellion. And then, you know, a couple of generations later, you know, his, his son's living the American dream. It's wonderful. Uh, Kyle Larson, his, his grandparents were interred in the Japanese uh, camp store in World War II. And again, now he's living the American dream with a, you know, a gazillion dollars. There's some awesome stories, but too many of the successful drivers are just really, really bland. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, a great, great athlete. He's going to run the freaking Boston Marathon here in a couple months, um, in addition to you know, having seven NASCAR championships. He's just really boring to talk to. So too many, I think, of the, the, the sponsors of one of the clean-cut vanilla guys, and Bubba Wallace is not that. He's he's personable. He's uh, not afraid to cut, you know, make jokes at the expense of Chase Elliott, who everyone thinks is the next big star in the series, or Jimmy Johnson, you know, one of the greatest ever. Um, he's got so much personality and so much spunk uh, that I think he's the type of guy, like a Jeff Gordon years ago, or a dealer in Hart, and that sort of thing, that fans could gravitate to this is a guy with crossover appeal all the dude has to do is you know just add wins um unfortunately he's at richard petty motorsports which is again not uh, the highest uh, caliber they don't have the best stuff so it's going to be really hard for it to happen but he finished second at the daytona 500 last year maybe the cards break right and he can break through and, and if he does that's going to be great for nascar because he's the type of person that i think once people you know once the people in the supermarket my mom you know, that sort of thing. Once they know who he is, I think they'll be interested. But he's got to get results first. You make a good point about, I mean, about NASCAR and its popularity or declining uh, popularity, as the case may be. I mean, is it about, is it as simple as, you know, over the last few years, they've lost some iconic iconic drivers where people had amazing allegiance to. And you know, Dale Harnett Jr., Jeff Gordon, um, you know, those kind of guys. I mean, they're hard to replace, right? Of course they are. Um, yeah, when you when you lose a, a you know a champion like Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart and Dale Earnhardt Jr., the most popular driver, yeah. and Carl Edwards, who was a really likable guy who raced at a high level, sure. you lose those bang, bang, bang. Yeah, it's hard to replace that. But it's there's some of a chicken and egg thing too, right? Because why did those guys leave? And one reason, yeah, again, not the only reason. They were getting getting older, and, and at some point, it becomes not worth it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But some of the reason it became right. not worth it is because the money wasn't as good as it used to be. True. So why is yeah. the money not as good as it used to be? Well, because the attendance at the Daytona 500, I mean, they're hoping for another sellout this year, which would be 101,000 um, plus you know, the, the infield. But that's half of what it was 15 years ago. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why the sport has slipped um, from, you know, I don't I don't think the leadership at the top is where it needs to be. Again, we've talked about the, the drivers, you know, the star power that's left. But I think the simplest thing I can bring break it down to is I think it kind of sold out in some ways. You know, it's like a like Blink-182. I'll show my age here, but uh, Blink-182 <laughs> had, 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 had a great following for what it was. And then it kind of tried to become bigger and you know go from kind of the more punkish pop punk to more pop and you know it's great yeah. when when everybody's buying your, your albums but at a certain point it stops and you've alienated your core fans and i think that's what happened with nasa that's, that's some right. of the change yeah mm. some of the changes they made with the schedule uh some of the changes they made with the cars and again going where your your drivers instead of being uh you know cursing and, and bumping and 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 fighting uh, went to a lot more clean cut, and that kind of turned off the the core base of it, and a lot of those guys have never returned. Uh, th- those are all great points um, that, that I, I think you're dead on. It, it got a little more corporate. They weren't swapping paint and, you know, got away from their roots. So it's, it's a, it's a yep. great point. One of the, one of the uh, you talk about the evolution of, of racing, and uh, the guy that, uh, let's just talk for a second about uh, William Byron, who won, uh, who won the pole, this iRacing thing, it, it could could potentially produce more of these guys, right? Yeah, William Byron's got a just a really interesting story. I mean, he, he's 21 years old. He's in the number 24 uh, Chevy for Hendrick Motorsports. The, you know, longtime NASCAR fans know that was Jeff Gordon's old ride. Most of the guys in, 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 at, at this level of racing have been racing since they were like eight. Um, they, you know, you do go karts and you move from go karts to on up, and sometimes they do dirt, dirt, and this sort of thing. But he was really interested in racing. He started doing iRacing, which is basically a souped-up video game, and a simulator-type thing. And he was doing that for a couple of years, you know, 13, 14, somewhere in that range. And then did well enough where finally his dad was like, all right, you might be good at this thing. Let's give it a shot. And, you know, it gets so expensive to do racing uh, and try and do it at, at a high level, even when you're kind of an amateur at 15. Um, but his dad took the shot and then... He did well enough there where, you know, he goes, moves up the ranks, uh, wins nationwide, or excuse me, the Xfinity Series does really well, uh, gets a ride and, and moves up. And now here he is at, at 21 years old in a premier car and a premier team on the pole at the Daytona 500. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And he's not the only guy who's gone from kind of the iRacing thing into racing professionally. And he's not going to be the last either, Rick. I think that's really cool, and 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 just a, like I said, the evolution of of what what you could see in racing in the, in the next few years. Um, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we'll we'll get let's let's finish up with uh, as far as the race goes on Sunday. So is is Austin Dillon uh, the defending champion? I mean, uh, we've talked about William Byron who's on the pole, but who is who is the favorite in this race? Is there a favorite? 
I mean, the, the 500 is so weird. Again, the, the cars are so close together. There's going to sure. be a big one, probably two, and there's going to be really good cars and really good drivers who are knocked out just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. There are there are favorites. I mean, Joey Logano is going to be, I think, is one of the favorites. He, he won a couple of years ago at the 500. He's a defending series champion for for Penske. I think he's one of the guys. Kevin Harvick always seems to race well. Brad Keselowski, another Penske guy, has done well. The, the Hendrick guys had a really bad 2018 season, but they they qualified, or they had the four fastest cars on qualifying. So you think one of them gets better. Maybe that's Jimmy Johnson. And, and if I think I had to pick, the guy I'd probably pick would be Kyle Busch. Um, he, he's, he hasn't raced great at Daytona in the past, but... He's just such a, a, a talented driver. I mean, you could put him in just any type of car, and I, I think he'd do well. I mean, he's getting close to 200 wins across all of the NASCAR series, not just in the Cup, but all of them. So I would think that uh, he's too good of a driver not to win the Daytona 500, so I, maybe this is his year. Okay, Matt, before we get you out of here, I wanted to talk about uh, the Daytona International Speedway and, and all the work they have done in upgrading that and, and what, what the residual has been in terms of, of uh, you know, maintaining their attendance uh, when other sports, uh, college football, NFL, certainly have, have seen a decrease in the in-stadium the, you know, in stadium experience. And also um, maybe the potential, and I know they talked about this with these upgrades, of hosting other events, other non-racing uh, big events, uh, whether it be football or what have you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. I spent some time at, at Daytona a couple weeks ago um, because they, they spent half a billion dollars, billion with a B, um, mm. on upgrading everything. You know, they completely they tore down the, the backstretch. They made they redid literally all 101,000 seats and kind of the, the, the main stadium, and they did all these other things. And they built a shopping complex with two hotels and some some pretty nice restaurants uh, across the street. All this stuff is to try and make uh, Daytona and the experience there are a lot better. Um, it, a lot of the things that Daytona has done is try, trying to fix the same problems that are going on in other sports. You look at you know what what the Rays have done in terms of downsizing, well, and what they wanted to do with the Ebor City Stadium, which is give you you know we're going to have fewer seats, but the seats that we have are going to be better and give you a better experience. That's what's happening in college football with, with the Gators and, and FSU and some of the others. And Daytona, is, I, I think, has done a good job with that, of just trying to upgrade everything to make it more... If you're going to go, you're going to have a great time and come back. Um, and, and part of the reason they're doing that is, you know, the attendance has been down and some of that is not never coming back. And they're trying to make the stadium attractive to host other things. And those other things can be anything from uh, proms in Volusia County to uh, business conferences can't imagine going to a business conference overlooking a NASCAR track. That could be kind of cool. Um, two, two big sporting events that, that you know you and I and, and the listeners here would be interested in. Um, Daytona's talked with the NFL about hosting a game. Um, they, they've talked with uh, NHL about hosting a game and MLS hosting a game. None of those have come to fruition yet, either because of the logistics or they're trying to figure out how they could give you a really good experience if you're far away from the field. But I think at some point in the future, we're going to see Daytona International Speedway host a big-time sporting event that has absolutely nothing to do with cars going around the track. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but I'm excited about the idea. Heck, I, I said, make, get Georgia and Florida State here. I don't know that it's going to happen, but I, I certainly love the idea of it, don't you? I do. I, I think it would be really cool, and I think the the first— 
you know, whether that's college football, whoever takes that invitation and does it is going to be really excited about it, and it's going to become a thing. I mean, I, I, I mean, you mentioned it. We've seen. I haven't been to Daytona since you know since they've done all these renovations, but um, I, I certainly you know every every year uh, you know he'd come in and, and you know the, the the executive director over there would come in and talk about the plans, and we saw it progress. So. Um, you've been there. You said it's an absolutely unbelievable. I mean, half a billion dollar upgrade um, should translate into something. So that's pretty exciting, I think. And it would be, a, you know, a good. You know, maybe people aren't racing fans, but would go over there and watch a college football rivalry or something like that, and then maybe come back for for a race. You just don't know. So it works and, and hand in hand. But yeah, that and that's the the, the point, Rick. You know, I, when I went over there and talked to some of the executives with International Speedway Corporation, which is the, the parent company for Daytona. I, I wanted to find out if, if their mission has changed, if they've seen some of the slip in the uh, in, in racing and, and uh, the, the fan base. said, we, we don't need to be a racing company any, anymore. We needed to be an entertainment company that also does racing. They said, no, 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 that's, that's the exact opposite. We are a racing company, a motorsports company, that well, puts these events on at a high level, but we also do some other things to supplement it. And again, it, they could, I'm, I'm sure they could have hosted a football game of some sort by now. If they wanted to, sure. but they're waiting sure. for the right opportunity and to get you the right experience. Because if you have a really crappy seat and the nosebleeds in turn four, and you can't see the field from where you are, you're going to have a bad time, and you're going to say, "Oh, that was really lame," and you're not going to want to come back. But mm-hmm. if you go and, and experience the stadium, see how cool it is, and uh, you have a great time because you're watching, you know, two good football games at, at a really interesting stadium, and you have a lot of fun, you might say, "You know what? Maybe I'll come back here for a race." And then maybe you'll come Absolutely. back for two and maybe you'll become a big fan. So th- it's all about choosing the right opportunity to feed into their core mission, which is to put, mo- you know, put motorsports events on at a really high level. No, it's, I think it's a terrific idea. And, and I look forward to, to seeing what, what events uh, they choose to host there and, um, and, and would like to see it. I think it's great. So uh, the biggest race uh, in, in sports, I guess, begins uh, on Sunday, the Daytona 500 Matt Baker uh, we'll be there. And Matt, for you, it's the Daytona 320 because I looked it up. And if you're driving to Daytona and back, you're about 320 <laughs> miles round trip. So uh, make sure you, uh, you you don't go above the uh, restrictor plate speed there. You're not going to have to worry uh, about that one. And it's it's only that few, by the way, depending on what route you take. Because, you know, four, we all know four can be a parking lot. So like when I went home the other night, <laughs> I took the long way around. But uh, I don't think I'm going to hit rush hour or Disney traffic when I'm heading back at some ungodly hour uh, <laughs> late late Saturday night. Well, be drive safe and, uh, you know, keep the, uh, what do they, keep the harness on or whatever they do, <laughs> whatever that thing is. Keep the seat on. Stay buckled. Let's just do that. There, uh, there. And, uh, and say, save travels to you. We'll read you uh, in, in the newspapers, of course. Uh, your coverage of the Daytona 500 will be in the Tampa Bay Times. And you can go to tampabay.com and, uh, and read Matt uh, during the event as well. Thanks, Rick. Our thanks to Matt Baker, always a, a great guest on this podcast. We appreciate uh, him doing that. Uh, before we get out of here, Steve, we had a, uh, a mailbag question uh, that uh, was addressed to us, I guess, early in the morning as we take this podcast uh, about Todd Grantham and him turning down the Bengals' defensive coordinator job. Yeah, rooting for UF, who tweets us quite frequently, he uh, asked, what is it about the Bengals' job that's making that defensive coordinator hire difficult? You know, I'm not, I'm not on the inside of covering the Bengals, obviously. I will say this. Um, you know, I think that the fact, and this is always a factor when you have a coaching change, is that you know, there were eight, seven other staffs that, that overturned that had new head coaches. And so 
Uh, the Bengals were among the last to hire their head coach or officially hire their head coach. I, I think that that puts you behind the eight ball. I mean, everybody, you know, it's, it is musical chairs. Your best assistants are going to be coveted by these other staffs, and they're going to, you know, take a job that's offered to them versus one that may or may not, you know, be promised. So um, that certainly is a factor. The other factor is also the age of the new head coach. Zach Taylor is a, is a young guy that uh, has not been in the league uh, all that long. And so, uh, you know, it's not as if it's a situation where Bruce Arians, you know, has been so many places and has had sort of a group of coaches that have followed him around, uh, certainly, you know, got most of the guys that he had uh, at Arizona with the Cardinals. So all those things are a factor. And, again, I'm not on the inside of the Bengals, but I do know that um, hiring a staff is one of the things that, you know, when you interview head coaches that you, you absolutely want to know, you know, who do they have that they can that they can bring in, who's locked down, who's going to follow them. And, you know, the Bengals did not do them, themselves or, or Zach much of a favor by, by having this hire go so long. Now, I know, obviously, the Rams went to the Super Bowl, so that's a big part of it. Um, but it's, it's still, it still could be a factor in, in this hiring. One other thing is there's now 21 college coordinators that are making over a million dollars a year. Wow. And 49 of them are making over $750,000. And when you look at what the NFL is generally paying for those jobs is you can make more in college potentially. Probably and have, uh, I would think a little longer, um, sort of, you know, job security. Uh, we, you know, these head coaching jobs in the NFL, uh, are lasting about two and a half to three years on average. Uh, you know, it used to be, you know, guys were there much longer than that. You know, five years. You remember the old five? You got a five-year plan, and they give you all five years. But um, that's that's really not the case. So yeah, it might might be part of that as well. And, and you're right, the money um, is the same uh, or sometimes better, depending on what uh, you know what job you're talking about. So yeah, all that's all that's a good factor. So. Anyway, our thanks for that question. Uh, we've got lots. Uh, this is going to be a big weekend in sports um, and excited to see how it all plays out. Of course, you've got uh, the Lightning and uh, playing Montreal at Emily Arena on Saturday. The Daytona 500 is Sunday. Rays position players will report on Monday. We are, uh, as, we, uh, as we sit here today on Friday, we are one week from the start of spring training. It's hard to believe. Uh, but the baseball is back, and uh, so we hope that you guys will join us all. We'll also uh, have a recap. full recap of the NBA All-Star game. <laughs> will we now? <laughs> That's right. Uh, we forgot to uh, preview every... it today. I, I, just, I totally spaced on that. I'm sorry. Well, you know, all 146 points per team, I'm sure. Uh, great defense played in that game. Look, it's not as bad as a Pro Bowl. Let's put it that way. I mean, if you're ranking All-Star games it's a, it's uh, in, an entertaining in professional All-Star sports. Game. It's an entertaining All-Star yeah. game. It's it it is entertaining. Uh, I w- I would rank them. You know, obviously, I would say that Major League Baseball is number one because it resembles baseball, uh, and then somewhere at the end is the Pro Bowl, um, <laughs> the very end. Whatever, however you want to rank them, NHL would be in there somewhere too. Um, so anyway, we hope you guys will join us. And remember, if you uh, have a business and uh, you would like to uh, grow with us, we'd love to have you as a sponsor of this podcast. Again, you can contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday.